feel my heart with songs of deliverance whenever I am
again. I am Yes, Lord. 
We give you glory. of your Thank you. Tonight for miracles, for healings, deliverances, instructions that shift the tide of life and destiny. Praise be Yahweh. Praise be Yahweh. Kunababu Jebedi. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, hallelujah. To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be blessing and glory and honor and power now and forever. For you are not a God created with human hands, not a God that is dependent on anything 
and for anything on mortal man. You who cause the light to shine in creation has now condescended to shine in our hearts the glorious light of your gospel. You have made us Zion, for it is out of Zion the perfection of beauty that you have shined. Would you shine tonight? Let your light come in the enfulgence of its glory. Let your spirit be received, released, and unleashed in the fullness of his potential. Let Jesus be seen, clearly, clearly seen. To you be all glory, all power and praise. To you be all glory, all power and praise. One more time we declare that it is unto you that the praise is due. Now and forever, we belong to you. Now and forever, this much is true. Now and forever, we're so in love with you. Thanks be to God that causes us to triumph always that the savor of his goodness may be made known in every place. Triumph tonight. Ride on, Lord Jesus, over every circumstance, every situation, every agenda of hell, every battle of life. Show yourself strong. Let your power fall when your name is called. Prove every doubter wrong. Let them see that you're still mighty and strong. This is what we need you to do. Fight this battle for us. And we will tell the whole world, family, friends and foes that you have won again. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, you creatures here below. Praise him all, you heavenly hosts. Praise the Father, Son, Word, and Holy Ghost. We declare that now and forever. Lord, it's not a song. It's not just an anthem of a house. It's the cry of heart, now and forever, today and tomorrow, till our dying day, we belong to you. Somebody around the world, would you clap your hands, oh you people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Welcome to day five of the atonement season atonement season I'm trying to say two words at the same time atonement season consecration journey uh, my name is Reverend Israel Alimide Siave it is my privilege to have been your host these last four days today being the fifth God has been so good to us he's done so much for us 
we cannot tell it all. A thousand tongues would not be enough to sing our great Redeemer's praise. Let's get straight to the word of the Lord tonight, shall we? Actually, a couple of announcements before we get to the word of the Lord tonight. Chris, if you can help me out, that would be amazing. Um, Of course, this Saturday we are gathering in London and Lagos for 12 hours of prayer. If you're in London, it's the sixth floor of the Kingsway House on Kingsway in Holborn, Central London. We start at 10 a.m. And if you're in Lagos, it is the third floor of the Wakanao building. Amen. 37 of Soloway at Jawa Estate, Lagos, near the 7 and 8 bus stop. Uh, In Lagos, we're going to start at 12 noon uh, and we'll be running till 6 p.m. for seven reasons. In London, it's going to be the full 12 hour experience. I can't wait to pray with you. The Forge is perhaps my favorite event of uh, the quarter or the month, whatever time it holds, because no bells, no whistles, just prayer. We just come, we engage with God, we love Him, we press after Him. And we've seen some pretty spectacular responses from heaven over the, the last two years or year and a half. We've been doing the Forge. I'm looking forward to one this Saturday. I will actually be physically myself and Dr. Joker will be physically in Lagos. If you've been under a rock for the last six to 12 weeks, uh, we now live in Lagos, Nigeria. God is doing some pretty awesome stuff here, of which we are so grateful to him for all that he's doing. Uh, thank you for everybody who's praying, who's reaching out to us, who's checking up on us, who's sending us scriptures, dreams, encouragement. Uh, we love it. We love it. We love it. Uh, the boys are grateful for those of you who ask to speak to them when you call the aunties and the uncles. They say they miss you. They can't wait to see you soon. And to everybody who's been a part of our giving towards the work that is going on here, uh, before Friday this week, I'll be giving you an update of what's been happening. I will be showing you pictures, videos, giving you figures. Um, we are two weeks now into planting a missions base here in the city of Lagos. God has been spectacular and amazing. And we couldn't do it without his grace as communicated through you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you again. So we're going to be going this week, every week, every night this week from yesterday, Monday till Friday at 7 p.m. We'll be digging into the word of the Lord. Chrissy, hit them with the flyer again. The theme is spiritual sacrifices from the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And so last week, Friday, we had our opening session of this consecration journey. We had an opening session on Friday and then on Saturday, uh, Captivating took over. Sunday was the Sunday afternoon service. And then this week we're back every night at 7 p.m. looking at Second Peter, First Peter chapter two from verses one to five. So Chrissy, if you want to help me with that, actually, you know, let me do that tonight. Let me let me take that off you tonight. First uh, Peter chapter two. I'm just wondering if I should let you do it, Chrissy, because my internet connection is a bit shaky. But let's see how it works. If I need your help, I will ask for it. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to stop. Chrissy, maybe you want to help me with this? I think it might be best if you help me with this. So, um, 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's start from verse 1. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
And so we laid a foundation from verse 5 last week, Friday, and then yesterday we began combing from verse 1 down the line. Amen. We began combing from verse 1 down the line to see what it is that the Lord has to say to us. Amanda says, our apostle is better than yours. You're far too kind. You're far too kind. There's many amazing ones out there. Well, yours is I. Yours is I. <laughs> Pastor Tunji, good to see you. Deborah, good to see you. Anna Gold, Pastor Tosin, good to see you. Chris Sabioff, good to see you. Chris, you know what I just did there. Sorry. Good to see you. Uh, Mommy Adediba, oh, love to see you. Every night I see you in the house, it puts a smile on my face. Esther, Mrs. O'Callum, Peniel, Amanda, Mr. Biden, Tony, future president. Love you all. Let's get into the word of the Lord tonight. So yesterday we began to set a foundation. Um, and what a foundation it was. If you did not watch or listen to yesterday live or haven't watched or listened to it since then, please go back. Because I took the gloves off and they're staying off tonight. I want to warn you. Tonight is a shade zone. There will be rocks flying, sticks being waved, ba uh, backsides and derriers paddled by the Holy Ghost cane because it is time for you to fulfill God's destiny for your life. Amen. And by the way, for those of you on here yesterday, apologies, we're getting our audio and video ca capacity in Lagos up to scratch to meet the standard you're used to. Uh, we had a bit of an issue with the stuff we shipped over. Some things went missing, and so we're having to rebuild some of them here. But thank you for your patience. We know it's not the usual quality you're used to, but we will get there over the next few weeks. And so, like I said, the time has come for the fullness of God's agenda for your life to be fulfilled. No more nearly. No more religiosity. No more doing things to keep up appearances. And no more giving God a bad name. The Bible says that if we conform not to this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, if we, uh, if we offer up our lives a living sacrifice to God, it should prove the fullness of his will. In essence, if your life over an extended period of time, yes, there's, 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 there's dark nights of the soul, there's wilderness seasons, there's testing seasons. I get that. But I mean, if you look at a believer who over a significant period of time, I'm talking years, 5, 10, 15, if their life doesn't begin to show the beauty that heaven promises as a response, and beauty is, 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 is subjective. The Bible doesn't promise everyone will be a millionaire. The Bible doesn't promise everyone will be a baller or a shot caller. But there is a level of, of, of awesomeness, of there's a sweetness that you can spot. Yes, good to see you, Reverend Sydney. Thank you so much, sir. There's a level of sweetness, Debbie, you're not too late. A level of sweetness that you can behold in the life of a person who's walking in the center of God's will. I'll give you an example. One of the most uh, famous people of the 20th century was a nun, a Catholic nun called Mother Teresa. She was no millionaire. She had no cars, no houses. Her, by, by the definition of the modern materialistic church world, we would say, quote, unquote, she wasn't blessed. So I'm not talking about money or, or material things, even though God does bless those with those. I mean a, a universal acceptance 
that God's hand is on this person. There is a, an air of beauty around a person with whom heaven is content to show forth its goodness. And if you observe a believer who is putting in all the religious work, they're praying, they're fasting, they're giving, they're evangelizing, they're in church before you and they leave after you, they, they're grinding this spiritual thing. And over an extended period of time, you cannot see that level of beauty and, and grace of God upon them. It's usually because they are violating a piece of the puzzle. I've said this a billion times. If God be God, Elijah told us, then serve him. And if Baal be God, then serve him. In essence, whoever you choose as your Elohim, Elijah was saying to Israel, let the rules of engagement of that being guide your life. Are you with me, somebody? If you're going to serve Yahweh through his son Jesus as powered by the Holy Spirit, do it by his specifications. If you want to serve Shango or Thor or Odin or Jupiter, I'm not sure what your gods are called in Shona Land in Zimbabwe, for instance, then do that too. But stop mixing and matching. Stop praying to a being. Stop consecrationally trying to fulfill the requirement of a being in some areas while the rest of your life is completely antithetical to his demands, his desire, and his nature, and complain when he does not accept your sacrifice. We looked yesterday about Cain and Abel. The Bible says God had respect unto Cain and to, unto Abel and his sacrifice, but to Cain and his sacrifice he had no respect. Heaven gives feedback when a life is placed on the altar of sacrifice. And we're going to look over the next few days at some of these things in more detail. But spiritual sacrifices we looked at are things, or anything spiritual is something, that either emanates or resonates from the realm of the spirit. It means it's either being instigated by the spirit realm, or it's resonating with the spirit realm. And a sacrifice, as we see in Romans 12, we looked at already, in the New Testament, is the sum total of your life. In essence, when... And, and hear me out, hear me out. Let me um, let me address this. Christy, hit them in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2 for me, while I make this point. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Let's, let's look at that scripture, because I want to show you something uh, that I realized I didn't go into yesterday. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, brethren. The word beseech is a, a word of emotional plea. It's like saying, I beg you. You know, where, where, where I live right now, they say, I take God, beg you. <laughs> Paul's literally saying, I take God, beg you. means I'm begging you. I'm crying out in emotional distress to you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, Chrissy, show them that word body. I've been calling the Greek word for weeks, but show it to them. I want to show you something. It's the word soma, as you see in a second. But I want, I want you to see what soma means. Let's go there. It's the word soma, body. Okay. Let's look at soma. Because it doesn't mean your hands, your legs. Soma doesn't mean my head, my shoulders, my knees, my toes. 
Chrissy, by the way, I don't know if it's, I, I can't hear you. So if the mute, if the keys are on, take them off completely for me. If they're on, I can't hear you at the moment. Soma means, or Soma does not mean my head, my shoulders, my knees, my toes. It includes that, but I want you to see what it is. Show us the usage of the word Soma in scripture. The body of men or animals, a corpse, a living body, keep going. The bodies of planets or stars keep going. A large or small number of men closely united into one society or family or, as it were, a social, ethical, or mystical body. Now look at the definition in the Strong's. The body as a sound whole used in a very wide application. Now show us the root word of Soma, please. Show us the root word of Soma. Because I want to make a point. The root word. No, no, no. You, you click. Yeah, click on Soma. Yes, then the root word for us. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. It's the word sozo. Now, go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. That's the word for salvation. I, I need you to understand that. That's the word used for salvation in the New Testament. Sozo is the root word for soma. What's the Bible trying to say here? Let's go. Let's look at what sozo means. To say it's used as to save, to keep, to save a suffering one. Keep going, keep going. To save in the technical sense, to deliver from the penalties. Now look at the definition. Listen. To save, to deliver, or to protect. To heal or to preserve. Now look at the last one. To make whole. Someone say to make whole. To make whole. To make whole. To make complete. Or to complete. Now let's look at the root word of sozo. Let's look at the root word of sozo. From a primary SOS, right? Contraction for obsolete SOAS means safe. Means not under harm or under threat. Now let's go back to SOMA. Let's apply this. So we're looking at a body. We're looking at a group. We're looking at to complete, to make whole, and to be safe. Now let's look at that word in that Romans chapter 12. It says to present your bodies. In essence, your SOMA. It literally means the holistic, complete, perfected function or version of you. Romans 12, Romans 12, Chris, Romans 12, 1. Let's go back to Romans 12, 1, the actual verse. It is your somar that is an acceptable sacrifice to God. Not your prayer life. Hear me. Not your financial life. Not your marital life, not your academic life. In essence, Somar is talking about the entirety of your existence from God's perspective in its perfected, holistic state.
in essence, if one piece of your life is out of order, it is not an acceptable sacrifice. And if you understand this, the sacrifice is the holistic, completed, that's what I'm looking for here. The, the totality of your being as God sees it in its wholeness. And so if one part of your life is consecrated, for instance, if you pray seven hours a day and your mouth is dirty, vile, and pernicious, then the entirety of you is not an acceptable sacrifice because it is your somar that is holy and acceptable unto God, not your actions. Does that make sense? I need you to understand this. It is not your actions that are the living sacrifice. It is not what you do. It is not the compartmentalized, uh, 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 help me now. Oh boy, I'm struggling tonight with English. It's not the, somebody help me in the comment section. If English is your first language, build a brother out. It's not the discrete sections of your life or the discrete moments in your life, in essence. The fact that you had a very good three hours this morning and then a rotten day. The fact that you, you, you wept before the presence of the Lord from six to seven and then proceeded to lie, steal and cheat for the rest of the day. God doesn't accept your six to seven as a living sacrifice then has to ignore the rest of your day. No, it is the entirety. Now, am I saying it means you can't make mistakes? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the tenor, the generic tenor, the frequency, the, cons the consistent fragrance of your life as it is a culture. Perfect, that's the word I'm looking for. The culture of your life, your your default reality, your consistent fragrance is either acceptable or not. And so you can't pray fast or give your way out of the culture of your life before God. In fact, when you pray fast and give, one of the things that heaven does is respond to you with grace to shift the culture of your life. Are you with me, somebody, tonight? One of the, oh, the word blessing in the Hebrew is not the thing you get. It's the empowerment of God that creates the thing. And the first sign, I'll give you an example, the Beatitudes. Jesus says to us multiple times, blessed are those who, blessed are those who, blessed are those who. It doesn't mean when you do these things, you are blessed alone. In fact, one of the things it means is one of the manifestations of the Lord, of the blessing of the Lord upon your life is an ability and a desire to do those things. So for instance, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. One of the signs that God's blessing is upon you is that there is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that comes upon you. Are you listening to me, somebody? And so when God wants to help you, when God wants to break a man into a season of Bokar, one of the first things he does is he shines in a handle season. Let's put it that way. Let's take it back to the last series. In a handle season, one of the first things the Lord does is highlight the deficiencies in your life and begin to supply you with a sense of pain at the state of your life and a desire backed up by an abundance of his grace to shift and change that state. And so if you 
are seeing less than the blessing, less than the perfect blessing of God in your life in every area. I admonish you to check yourself against some of the things we've been speaking about the last few days. Having said that, Tracy, now let's go to First Peter chapter two. Let's go back to First Peter chapter two. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. First Peter chapter two. Hallelujah, somebody. First Peter chapter two. Verse one says, wherefore, laying aside, and we looked at this word, apothemi, it's an act of your will. This is not something God does for you. This isn't something your pastor can do for you. This isn't something someone can lay hands on you and it happens automatically. Because many of us are waiting for this miraculous day where we wake up and we feel no bitterness, no malice, no anger, no frustration. In essence, we just want our hearts to just naturally be pure and good to those around us. Hear me. If you're an adult living in the real world, it don't happen like that 99.999% of the time. Love in the book of 1 Corinthians is an action word for a reason. It is something you practice. It is not always something you feel. Malice doesn't leave your heart automatically. Guile doesn't leave your heart automatically. Hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings. And, and I made up, I know I, I made a decision today because of time. I know we looked at two yesterday. We were supposed to look at the other two, three today, hypocrisies, envies, and evil speakings. I'm going to trust that most of you by now know how to use the blue letter Bible.org or any Greek lexicon. And for those last three, they literally mean what they say. If you check them in the Greek, hypocrisy means you're two-faced. It means you're double-fronted. It means you are, you're not integrous. You're not whole. You have disparate personalities. Your, your reputation is different depending on which context we find you. You can smile in my face and stab me in the back. Amen, somebody? Hypocrisy means that we can't trust what comes out of your mouth. We can't trust the countenance we see on your face. We constantly need to guess what your heart is really saying because you can't be trusted, to be honest. You, you know how to smile in hate. You know how to pretend to be a, an amazing person while behind the scenes or in secret, you're, you're vile, you're ugly in your character. That's hypocrisy. Envying is obvious. Again, look at the Greek words because of time I'm running through them. Envy literally means you're jealous. It means somebody else's success or somebody else's accomplishment or somebody else's blessings or so, sometimes somebody else's character makes you... And, and envy goes beyond jealousy, actually, if you study the Greek, the, the Greek word. Envy, the, jealousy means that you are... I was going to say you're jealous. Jealousy means that you want to be someone else or you want to have what they have or do what they do. There's something about another person's life that you covet in a bad way. There, there is a good type of quote-unquote covetousness. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, covet earnestly the best gifts. So your life can be an inspiration to me without me being jealous. Jealous means it's moved beyond being an inspiration to something that I resent you for. Envy takes it to the next level. Jealousy can be passive. Envy is always active, if you look at the Greek word. Envy means I want what you are or have or do so bad that I have 
malicious, pernicious. It says, I wish you harm, is the point I'm making now. Envy means that I actually want you to lose what you have I'm jealous of or soft in essence when you're envious of a person you are constantly waiting for news of their downfall their loss you are happy at any sign of their failure you you actively wish them ill and many times envy is an active word it, it means you are doing or speaking acting thinking in ways that are intentionally injurious to another person based on the fact that you feel you better deserve what they have are or can do and of course evil speaking is just simple it's gossip it's slander it's backbiting it's 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 character assassination it can go as far the word actually goes as far in the greek to talk about demonic pronouncements or negative pronouncement over another person. But you don't need to go to a witch doctor to curse a person. Words are powerful. I'm very careful about people who talk about other people around me because if you speak to me about someone else, you speak to someone else about me. Let me repeat. The way you speak to me about someone else is mostly correctly or most of the time, I should say, the way you speak to the other person, it will... <laughs> hey, Dr. Joker. The way you... See, if you're the kind of person who enjoys other people speaking, you, you like people talking about other people to you. You like it when somebody else is the subject of, 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 of someone else's wrathful tongue. You can spend hours, and hey, don't mind that girl, and hey, look at her. You know, do, do you know what so-and-so did yesterday? I, I've always known this person was. Slow down. Nobody talks to you 24-7. No human in your life spends all day talking to you. And if people like to talk, trust me, when you're not available, they'll find someone to talk to. Mm. That's why, I, fact, let, let, me, let me rephrase that. I don't even, I'm not even comfortable about people who like to talk all the time. Now, we can talk about the Bible all the time. We can talk about sports all the time. But if you always have something to say about something that's not your business, even if you are saying it in a positive light, I get worried. If every time we talk, someone else is always the subject of our conversation from your perspective. Even if you seem to be complimentary, I start to get very worried. Because it means you talk to me about other people too. And you might be speaking positively about me today and live long enough to know that I will get on your nerves, I'll do something you don't like, I'll disappoint you, and then what? Somebody say, then what? Then what? And so the Bible says, let's go back there, Chrissy, that if we can lay these things aside, if, in essence, simple, if we can deal with our horizontal relationships in the summary, Remember, the Ten Commandments are divided into two. They are the vertical commandment and the horizontal. In the Ten, there's the first four. They're God word. No other God besides me. No, uh, no graven image. The Sabbath. I've forgotten the third one now. Somebody help me out. What's the third commandment? Thou shalt have no other God before me. 
thou shalt make no graven image. I know number four is the Sabbath. Watch number three. Lord have mercy. What kind of pastor is this? I've completely forgotten the third commandment. It wasn't part of my message tonight. Help me out somebody. Let's see what Google has to say. Thou shalt not, oh, thou shalt not take the name of thy Lord in vain. So those first four, no other God before me, no other spirit being is your patron. No other Elohim is what it means. Because they were not allotted to you. No graven image. Don't dis, don't disgrace. You're my image, God is saying. Mankind is my image. Don't build something else that demeans my nature. And that can also mean, don't, in essence, to take that to a, another level, is don't live in dead works. In the New Testament, that commandment is, is referred to this way, in inverted commas. Beyond building a, a graven image, your life should not be a graven image. Your life should not be a dead representation that demeans the fullness of who God is. Don't take his name in vain. It doesn't just mean don't say it in vain. That's part of it. Don't take his nature in vain. In essence, again, don't let men look at you and see a twisted version of him. And of course, the Sabbath have a covenant of connection and intimacy with him. The first four are, are ver vertical. They're the things you do directly to God. Jesus summarizes them this way. He says, this is the first great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, the Shema, with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind, and all thy strength. In essence, when you connect with God, you give it your all. And majority of mature Christians do a fairly good job of this. We, we, we're too sensible to treat God with disdain. But then there is a second commandment that Jesus says is just as the first. Oh, Jesus. The second commandment, just as the first. By the way, uh, I'm, I'm quoting from Matthew chapter 22 from verse 36 to 40. Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. And the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And the last six of the Ten Commandments are all about horizontal relationships. Honor your father and your mother, horizontal. Thou shalt not kill, horizontal. Thou shalt not steal, horizontal. Thou shalt not bear false witness, horizontal. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, horizontal. Don't commit for, uh, adultery, horizontal. Don't co covet your neighbor's good, horizontal. In essence, there are six instructions that govern how you interact with your fellow man and only four that govern how you interact with God directly. Are you hearing me, somebody? And this is what Paul is, or Peter is referring to in chapter 2 in his first epistle. Let's go back there, Chrissy. He's saying your priesthood is nullified, diluted, or corrupted if you have not dealt with how you treat other people. In verse 2, he then says, as newborn babes, in essence, this is something that should be dealt with in the 101 of your faith. 
It shocks me how many believers arrive at senior status. Preachers, ministers, leaders, mature Christians, parents, spouses that have... Uh, if you wonder why I keep pausing with my head in my hands, when you've pastored as long as I have, if, if there are any pastors in, you know, some of my brothers and some of my mentors and some of my, my sons and daughters pass through on a regular basis, if there are any pastors in the house, please give us a shout. Because you, you know what I mean when I say this. If you've pastored for any length of time, you can almost despair at the hypocrisy of the average believer. People who want God to love them, want God to forgive them, want God to bless them, are surprised about why, quote-unquote, God is not coming through for them. And when you begin to probe, have a, an ugly disposition to at least one person in their life. In church, two members of the same ministerial team, two leaders in the same church, I I'm telling you what I've seen on the road as a traveling minister and in kingdom culture through the years, yes. Two leaders in the same church, two pastors in the same church, two members of the same worship team, two at loggerheads with each other, destructively treating one another, malice, bitterness, ugliness, gossip, clicks, and wondering why there's no feedback from heaven. As newborn babes, the Bible says, newborn babes. Now, he's saying this after telling you to lay aside these things. Chris, let's go there. It means they're connected. He first talks about laying aside these things. He then says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere, the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Listen, listen. If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, in essence, if you have enjoyed the goodness of God, how dare you withhold it from another human being? If God has loved you in your mess, accepted you in your filth, cleaned your diapers while you stink to the highest of the heavens, found you while you were a mess and a wretch, how dare you? How dare you, like Simon, have been the leper that Jesus healed? The Bible calls him Simon the leper. If the guy called the leper now had a house, he was living in where the whole city was gathered and Jesus was there eating. It means he could not be leprous anymore. Because a leper meant you lived in the outer part of the city in a colony and when you walked past, you had to ring a bell and shout unclean, unclean. And so Jesus was telling this man, how dare you have tasted of the goodness of God in your life and see another human being as too dirty for me to engage with. How dare you? If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If God has ever one day shown you his goodness. His mm, Slow down sir. And let's look at this word gracious. Christy hit me with the word gracious please. 
Because it doesn't just mean unmerited favor. Let's look at the word gracious. It's the word Christos. Let's look at the root word first. I want to show you what the root word is first for this one. It's the word what? Kraumai. Let's see what Kraumai means. To receive a loan. To borrow. To take something for one's use. To make use of a thing. Of course, you understand here it's a thing you don't own. Keep going. The definition means, listen, to furnish to someone what is needed. Amanda, that's exactly what I'm doing. Because the average believer is entitled. The average believer has an ugly sense of entitlement in our generation that makes light of what God has done for us vis-a-vis -vis what he expects us to do for others. To furnish what is needed, listen, to employ or act towards one in a given manner, to entreat. Now let's look at the word kratos itself. Or let's look at the krestos. Let's look at that word now. The word for gracious. It's back up, Chrissy. Just back up in the browser. Okay. It means fit, fit for use, virtuous, good, manageable, pleasant, kind, benevolent, as opposed to harsh, sharp, or bitter. Let's look at the definition. Employed, useful, better, easy, goodness, gracious, kind. Now, let's go back and look at the word taste. Back in, yes. Let's look at the word taste. The Bible says we have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The word tasted is the word giomai. Giomai means what? To try the flavor of, to taste, to perceive the flavor of, to partake of, to enjoy. To feel, to experience. Look at the definition. By implication, to eat or to experience. The Bible is saying you have experienced God giving you a loan you did not have the ability to pay back. In essence, graciousness here means that there are things that God has made available to us on credit. There are facilities of his goodness. See, I know about you. I, I, I don't know about you, but I know what I am. And oof, if God were to treat me, see, there are things in my life that God furnished me with years ago that I'm only just starting to quote and unquote. You could never pay back God's grace. But if, in essence, if we were to apply the standard of scripture in its legal sense, 
in essence, the price for a certain thing. There are, I've always been behind in my walk with God in pain. You could argue my consecration has never matched the hand of God upon my life. My consecration has caught up with the hand of God. In essence, the Bible says, Paul beseeches us by the mercies of God that we present our bodies. In essence, God gives me something on credit. And the beauty of what he gave me makes me press in for it. I don't know about you, but that's how God works with me. David said if he were to mark our transgressions, who would stand? And so there, there is a level... It, it, it's the same with every parent. And if you, if, you got, if you have a child, you know what I mean. Your children don't deserve your goodness to them half the time. They don't. If you, if you treated a child based on how many instructions they disobeyed or how many things they broke around the house or how many times they, they embarrassed you in public, you, you literally almost kill your kids. There is a benevolence in essence, you, you raise your kids to turn out well and you treat them good from day one. You start to treat your five-year-old like he's perfect, even though he has an ugly side. He, he, your five-year-old already knows how to manipulate you with his cries. He already knows how to, how to throw a tantrum in public. He, he knows how to tell lies. He knows how to, to break things you told him not to touch. You're hoping someday this child will become an upstanding member of society. You're raising them to be proud of them by the time they turn 16, 18, 20, 25, 30. But you start to treat them from day one like they are that upstanding human being you're raising is how God deals with you and I. The Bible says we have tasted of his goodness. We have tasted of his grace. We have tasted of his graciousness. Even in, in the things of ministry and the anointing, the Bible will say if we have tasted of the powers of the world to come, Let's go back, Chrissy. So that if you have tasted of his grace, that the Lord is gracious. Let's go back to verse 2. Desire the milk of the word that we may grow thereby. There's too many believers reaching for meat when your teeth haven't fully been formed by milk. One of the most dangerous things that ever happened to a generation, and if you, by the way, shameless plug, Chrissy, show them the flyer. Every Sunday in the city of Lagos, Nigeria, Dr. Joke and I on the move now, uh, we are building an apostolic missions base in the Oshodi Solo local government of Lagos in an environment community called Ajao Estate. It's actually the community where I spent a, lot, a large part of my youth before I moved to the United Kingdom 21 years ago. Uh, and so every Sunday, every Sunday at, at 1 p.m., we'll be at service, and then we'll be broadcasting the service on the Kingdom Culture channel. Uh, we've not figured it out yet. It'll either be 435 Five, somewhere between 4.30 and 6 o'clock. Once we make a decision on what time, we'll keep that time. So every Sunday, if you could not be there live, the service will be broadcasted on delay so it doesn't clash with our UK service for now. UK service, we're looking at you. All right, show them my first, Chrissy. 
If you were watching or in the room on Sunday, you would have noticed a very uh, intentional effort to be simple in my content and delivery. We're building a new set of people. And I don't want to make a mistake that many of us preachers have made for years, which is dropping meat on people without fully formed teeth in milk. You are dangerous if you understand Hebrew and Greek. You are dangerous if you understand prophetic things. You are dangerous if you've received an impartation of the spirit of grace while your character to another human being is ugly. You are a weapon in the hands of Satan. So the Bible says, desire the sincere milk. He calls it sincere for a reason. Because the milk of the word of God breeds sincerity. Sincerity in how you approach life. Now let's jump to verse 4. We're coming to a close for today. Tomorrow, we'll go deeper. I just felt to hammer this thing again in case anybody didn't get it. If you didn't get it yesterday, if you wanted to just move on yesterday, I came for you today. He then says, to whom? Who is the whom here now? Who's the whom? Let's go back to verse 1. Just close the interlinear down, Chrissy, so we can read the verses in, in one go. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisies, envies, and evil speakings, as newborn babe desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Close down the interlinear. Let's close it down. Go up, go up, go up. Go up. Up a bit. Now, click on tools again. There. Yep. Cool. If so be, you've tasted the Lord is gracious. So it's the Lord we're talking about here. It then says, so the purpose of tasting that God is gracious, it says he gives you a sample. If you, if you live in Nigeria, you know what it means when you go to a suya joint and you say you want to taste or test their suya. He gives you a sample because he expects you to say, mm, give me some more of that. To whom coming? To the Lord. So God's goodness to you, listen, is to get you to come unto him. In the same way, your goodness to other people, whether or not they deserve it, is to get them to come unto the God in you. To whom coming? Someone say to whom? Where we missed it in the last 40 years of the prosperity gospel was not in the fact that God is good and is in a blessing mood. That is true and will always be true. Anyone who tells you that it is, uh, it is, it is, it is unspiritual to believe that God loves you and wants to bless you is legalistic. God does love you. God does want to bless you. God does want to be good to you. God is a good God. He is a blessing God. My life is proof. But where we, where we got it wrong was we divorced the purpose of the blessing from the pursuit of the blessing. There is no blessing of God that is not designed to pull you in his direction. Paul says, I beseech you by his mercies that you present. The cadence of the new covenant is God is good to me and that goodness provokes me to be good to him.
The Old Testament says it is my good works that justify me with him. The New Testament says he has justified me by his grace. My response to such an act of his goodness must be to respond with good works. Does that make sense? To whom coming as unto a living stone. Now, Christy, show them living stone in the Greek. Show them that phrase, living stone in the Greek. The word living is the word zao, which comes from the word zoe, means life, God's kind of life. And the word stone is the word lithos, a living stone. Now, I want you to look at verse 5. Let's go to verse 5, Chrissy. Let's click on that tools again. Yes, cool. So, verse 5 says, you as lively stones. Now, let's look at the word or the phrase lively stones. Can you see it's the exact same two Greek words, zao and lithos? So I'm assuming the King James translators felt a bit queasy about describing human beings as Jesus. But in the Greek, it's the same thing. It says, to whom coming, right, as a zao lithos. It then says, we as zao lithos. Let's go back to verse 4 and 5 now. So now that you see the living stones and lively stones are the exact same two words in Greek in both verses, Put the two verses on the screen side by side each other. So God says, put aside the evil in your treatment of other people. Desire the sincerity of the milk of the word to grow. If you have tasted of his goodness, and therefore Jesus says, he who has been loved much loves much, right? He then says, you should respond by coming to him. We'll look at these in the Greek tomorrow. The phrase to whom coming, Christian, let's let's get the keys. To whom coming, as unto a zaolithos, a living stone, disallowed of men, but chosen of God and precious. It then says, We as zaolithos, as living stones, in essence, be like him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In essence, he's saying here. The purpose of God's goodness is to make you a copycat. God is good to you so that you can desire to be like him. You also as living stones, Zaulithos, in essence, when each of us individually responds to God, to his goodness and his revelation to us by emulating Paul puts it this way in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, as we behold in a mirror his glory, we're changed into what we see. The presence of God, the dealings of God, the love of God, the light of God, the word of God, the goodness of God, the blessing and the blessings of God, the experience of him in fellowship, everything about God that is revealed to, communicated to us or we are allowed to experience is designed to duplicate a level of his DNA in us. It then says if each of us is on this journey, our conglomeration begins to build a spiritual house. So if you don't submit to this process, you make my process almost irrelevant. This is one of the, the, the things that God ordained to be a group thing, their accountability of the kingdom. 
it is unfair to waste my process because you will not submit to yours. Are you hearing me, somebody? I repeat, it is unfair to waste my process because you will not submit to yours. Each stone, and we're going to look at this tomorrow and or Thursday, how the old temple was built. Solomon, the Bible says, took all the stones offside to a quarry. Each stone was shaped and chiseled and gotten ready. In a sense, the process is private. You and I have a private quarry experience. But our building is a public communal thing. God is dealing with you separate from me, but he's not building you separate from me. And therefore, I must be accountable to you and vice versa when it comes to how he deploys us in the area of fellowship because he wants to build a spiritual house. You see why he starts by saying you've got to put aside the malice and all the other things? Imagine if two stones in the building are fighting, two stones hate each other. The Bible says anywhere there is, we looked at this last week, dissension and strife, there is every evil work. It starts from the, the simplest of all relationships, a marital home. If there are two people there who are malicious and evil and envying and evil speaking and guile-filled towards each other, God cannot inhabit that home. It cannot be a house. The presence of God cannot live there if the people involved do not treat each other well. And hear me, it's not how you feel is irrelevant. Because when it comes to marriage, many people go by how they feel. Well, you know, I love my, my spouse, I love my husband, I love my wife. No, it doesn't matter whether or not you love them. It matters about, it matters whether or not you are dealing with them according to the dictates of the will of God as revealed through scripture. It also matters whether or not they feel or, in essence, I love you is irrelevant if you don't feel loved. Now, there's areas in which, I, I want to balance this out. There's areas in which your feelings are irrelevant. For instance, if, you, if you're a child and you feel unloved because I won't let you ruin your life, that's your problem. As your dad, I love you. And love means that I don't care whether or not you agree with the fact that you shouldn't be having candy all day. But I'm talking about objectively, in essence, would another human being in this situation feel? Or, what's the word now? Would they affirm the fact that your treatment of them is driven by what is best for them? In essence, is their well-being your priority? If that's absent in the home, God can inhabit that home. And so, father can be a prayer warrior, mother can be a prophetess and an intercessor, and the devil will have a field day in the home. Are you hearing me? I've seen too many homes, including ministerial homes, Christian homes, where, and I told you, the children in a home are usually a sign of whether the ladder points up or down. You can tell the spiritual state of a home usually by what happens to or with the children. And there's too many Christian homes full of prayer and fasting 
and corporate Bible study every day. Where Satan has a field day, where death, disaster, sickness, uh, a sin, perversion is rampant. Because, let's go back there, Chrissy. It cannot be a house if the stones have not been quarried individually, but also put together. We're being built a spiritual house. So the first sign of our consecration should be that God can inhabit our individual lives and inhabit the spaces between the relation, the functional relationships we have with others. Is God comfortable in your life? Is your schedule, your priorities, your finances, your, your playlist on your devices, hear me somebody, your playlist on Netflix, your... <laughs> The way you treat your staff or your boss at work it, in essence is your approach to life comfortable is consistent with the environment that god is comfortable in <clears throat> but then secondly are our relationships one with another consistent can god inhabit your marriage can he inhabit your children's relationship with you can he inhabit your relationship with your siblings your parents your if your, uh, your, your, your colleagues at work, your business partners, your fellow members in your local church, the relationship between the churches and the pastors thereof in a city. If the presence of, and I say presence, I, I don't mean feelings. Like I told you yesterday, there are many things that can create a level of power that are not God necessarily himself. The level of, 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 there's a level of feedback, there's a level of functional manifestation that does not need God to happen. I can inspire you by my words, I can inspire you by an environment, I can inspire you by music, I can inspire you based on your faith by prophetic declaration. In essence, God doesn't need to be moving for things to happen all the time. The human mind and voice has been endowed with such a power that we can leave God out of the equation and still see some level of result. Some being the key word here. But if you've walked with God long enough, you can tell when there is a result without him. You can tell, like he said to Moses, I'll send the angel before you. They'll win your battle. He'll win your battles. He'll win your wars. He'll bring you into the land, but my presence will not go with you. When you have walked with the presence of God, you can smell its absence. And wherever that presence and that essence is absent, one of the first things to, 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 to troubleshoot is this principle we've looked at today. It says we're being built, present continuous. It doesn't say we will be built or we were built. Let's go back quickly. It is a daily, consistent process. We are being built a spiritual house. And like I said to you yesterday and Friday, you can't be both the brick and the inhabitant. If you're the stone, sorry, not the brick, the stone. Brick is how Satan builds. Stone is how God builds. I don't mean in physical architecture. I mean in the, in the prophetic language of the Bible. Whenever God calls for something, he uses stone. Whenever man does something in rebellion, they use brick. So... You can't be both the stone and the inhabitant. So if we're the stone, who is the inhabitant? Him. And it is after being a spiritual house. Now we can move from tomorrow. 
that we can then become a holy priesthood. Christy, go back, go back, go back, go back. I want them to see this. You can't jump to holy priesthood if you haven't first been a spiritual house. And again, it says priesthood. It doesn't say holy priest. The phrase priesthood doesn't just talk about your act. It, it actually is talking about a group of priests. The actual word. Now, it can be used to describe the activities of one priest, but it's talking about the community and the attendant culture of a brood, a tribe, a community of priests. So God isn't just making priests individually. The Bible says he has made us, not you, us, priests and kings unto him. Not a priest and a king unto him. There is a communal sense in which this must work too. But notice it says that you must first be, a, in essence, the priesthood is nullified if we have not first been a spiritual house. I don't mean a church or a ministry. I mean a system God can inhabit and find expression through. The fact that the priesthood will be valid is tested by whether or not the house has been inhabited by God. He then says, uh, a holy priesthood, let's go back, to offer the theme for the week spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto God by God. In essence, not every sacrifice, but there is a standard of sacrifice that is accepted. Just ask Nadab and Abihu. And then years later, ask Hophni and Phineas. Nadab and Abihu were Aaron's sons. Hophni and Phineas were Eli's sons. One set offered strange fire. The other set lived a life of strange fire. God intends us to read both passages as one whole. The two times priests were named by name, they were called by name and shown as offensive to God to the point where he literally judged them by death. For the first two, it was the offering they offered in Bible called it in the New Testament, our life. In the second two, it literally was their lifestyle. They were stealing things from those coming to offer to God and sexually assaulting women at the temple. So I want you to, and I want us to, I want us, not you, I want us to assess the state of the spiritual house we're building before we start shouting about priesthood. Could that be why our fire is not responded to from heaven? Could that be why there is no feedback? Could that be why we don't see the fullness in our personal lives, in our churches, our ministries, our families, our businesses? Could God be looking at us as a bunch of hypocritical time wasters and saying, I can't inhabit you. I can't inhabit your lifestyle, first of all. And I certainly can't inhabit your functional relationships and covenant relationships with other people. So your sacrifices are not spiritual. They are theory, but they're not spiritual because they're not inspired from heaven. For instance, Paul, uh, 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 Isaiah tells us that you fast for strife. You're fasting because you want to prove a point. You want, you want to show your neighbor that God's hand is on you more than them. So you two, when you two ma, when you come back from this fast, 
and you just say, Holy Ghost over there. Now that pastor will know that you're more anointed. Nah, 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 nah. You won't got to give your husband or wife so your other friends can know that you two, you've come. I saw, I saw a YouTube short yesterday of a lady who canceled her wedding because her fiance said he didn't have the money to give her the kind of wedding she wanted. He said that she couldn't have a big wedding and she didn't want to get married. And the poor guy was, was about to start crying. And I agreed with all the comments in the comment section. People were saying she did you a favor, bro, run. And I agree. So you're, so you're praying for a successful wedding. Why? Is it for memories for you? Good. Is it so that when you think back on how you got in the, this positive trauma of joy, that's fine. Is it that God be glorified that somebody at your wedding encounters God even better? Or is it so that people can know that you are not on their level? <laughs> no, sir. Why do you want your ministry to grow, preacher? Why do you want your voice to go out to the earth? Why do you want influence? Why? Why do you want to be blessed? Are you aware that beyond a certain level, the Bible said having food and raiment, let's be satisfied. Are you aware that if you can eat three square meals and you have a roof over your head and your clothes are not tattered, that every single penny above that that is required to keep you alive at a basic level is tied either to functional purpose in God for his glory or, listen, Many of us want to be rich so we can separate ourselves from other people. We want to live in areas nobody else can live. We want to wear clothes nobody else can wear. We want to bike, ride in cars. Nobody... In essence, for the average human being, wealth is a function of separation. In essence, I want to be wealthy because it means I can afford stuff or to do stuff and other people can't. So if you are begging God for wealth on that platform, hello, not I want to be able to be a blessing to more people, I want to be able to put more separation between myself and the people I should be a blessing to. These are the, This is the offensive smoke rising from many Christian altars. It is not pleasing. Let's go back quickly. It is not acceptable to him. And therefore, it is not his level of spiritual. It will not receive feedback from him. So troubleshoot your life. Why is your altar ineffective? And what is more important to you to be seen to have the altar or for the altar to have the effect it's designed to have? Why is the body of Christ less and less potent to transform its environment? We were doing a, a leaders, uh, not a leaders, um, a workers session here in Lagos two weeks ago. And even last week Sunday in the sermon, and we looked at the fact that Jesus doesn't build anybody's church but himself, his own church. He says, I will build my church, not yours. So he's always going to build his church. If you can position your ministry as part of his church, great. If you can run your ministry within the patterns and confines that makes it a bona fide part of his church, 
you will enjoy you will enjoy sorry the you will enjoy the generic builder and growth on the flip side on the flip side if you want your ministry to grow so you can be seen to grow we looked at the fact that God had given us a local government to start with, and we wanted to see the effect of his glory in Oshodi's solo local government. And all its 14, 11 or 14, depending on how you divide them, different wards. What's the point of having 10,000 people drive by pain, despair, sin, debauchery, and false religion every Sunday to gather and scream and say, we have a big ministry and then drive by the same things on the way back home without no transformation in the environment. What kind of altar is that? In fact, if the altar is being raised correctly, if the people coming to sing praise, pray, and listen to a word, if they are living stones correctly aligned, just their presence in that community, without them even doing anything in the community, will create a canopy for God's activity with tangible results. It is time for the altar of the Lord again to have value and have an effect. It is time again for spiritual sacrifices to be offered. And I'm calling you, I'm calling me, all of us who name the name of the Lord, let us depart from iniquity in this area. Lift your hands and let's pray tonight. I want you to ask God for grace. To put what you've heard into practice it, it sounds good i know many of you say yes 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 so you get to work tomorrow morning so you go back to your bedroom and your spouse and the, the issue you haven't sorted out is waiting if you're a child who resents your parent till you have to interact with them again if you're a parent who's fed up of a child till your co-colleague at work gets on your last nerve and it makes you crazy literally crazy So you go back to your deception, your guile, your, your horrible desires and motivation, sorry, for success. Even the preacher himself is holding up the, the mirror of God's word. I, I'm, I'm looking at myself as I'm preaching this. I told you a story yesterday of something I realized. You know, there's, there's more, but that was just the most obvious one I could use to give you an example. I want to look like Jesus. Bible says we should labor till Christ. The job of a leader is to labor till Christ be formed. I want Christ to be formed in me and then through me. Yes. I want to make him smile. I want, I want, I want the Lord to point down at me and say, that's my boy. Say, Lord, help me. I want my altar to be powerful. Like Jesus, I want to be able to say the God of this world comes and finds nothing in me. I want to be a man of authority because my life is under authority. Help me, Lord. Tell him. Help me, Jesus. There's no shouting tonight. There's no, or there doesn't need to be shouting tonight. Just, just tell him in the simplicity of your heart. I want this thing to hear me or copy. I want to grow. Growth is not amassing intellectual principles from the word. Growth is not being able to pray louder and longer. 
It means you've been built. Growth is the functional appendages, the, the organs, the system of a human being coming into bigger and fuller maturity. They help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. Let our altars have value and weight in the spirit once more. We give you honor, we give you praise. In the precious name of Jesus. Somebody clap your hands, oh you people. I'm gonna leave this with you tonight to go and do business with the Lord. Don't 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 say, oh great, what no 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 no. If you need to listen to this back again once we're done. So I wasn't to do business with God on the floor. Say, Lord, remove this evil heart from me. Give me a heart that, that, that loves like you do, that thinks like you do. Give me a system of priorities that values what you do. Change my predilection, my idiosyncrasies, the prism of my paradigm of life, vertical, horizontal, the things that are important to me, the things that are important to, to spend money on, spend time on, my, my motive, my motive, sorry, not motive, my motive for wanting influence and, and elevation. Remove guile and malice and, and envy and evil. I, I want to stop. So he said, God, I want to stop gossiping. I, you know, <laughs> oh, Jesus. I want to be able to have a conversation with other people without bringing up someone every single time. Help me, Lord. And watch your altar, watch your prayer life, watch your fasting, watch your giving, watch your service to God, watch your kotan. Many of us say we are holy. The fact that you don't watch porn, you don't masturbate, you don't fornicate, and you don't cuss doesn't make you holy. No. These are components of holiness, yes. But when you begin to fix these little foxes as fall the vines, watch, and you keep your consecration in the other, it's not one or the other, it's... It has to be all. So don't don't say, well, Rev said those things don't matter. No, they do. The, the lying, the stealing, the cheating, the sexual pervert, those matter too. But when you add these things, watch your, your altars go to a different level. Watch heaven back you up and respond and give you feedback in spectacular ways. We're back tomorrow uh, at she hit them at the flyer at 7 p.m. every day this week all the way till Friday so spread the word share the link invite someone with you and then on Saturday 12 hours of prayer in London and in Lagos all Lagos is six hours we'll be live online but we also invite you to come to the physical building if you can amen somebody and of course on Sunday at 1 p.m. both in the UK in Nottingham in London and in, in Kenya, we start much earlier in the morning. Pastor Isaac and his bunch at church from like 7.30 sometimes till very late. Also in Kaduna, they start early from 8 till like 1, 2, 3 some days. But uh, two services that will be streamed on the channel. At 1 p.m., uh, London and Nottingham service will be, services will be streamed. They interact with each other. And then sometime between 4 30 and 6 the 1 p.m service that holds in lagos will be streamed on the leg if you have an offering or gift for the lord tonight the details will be on your screen honor him with your substance and the first fruit of your increase 
this is a storehouse. It is a place where the word of God is preached, lives are transformed, and the kingdom is built. And if God lays on your heart to be a part of that, either as a one-off or on an ongoing basis of committed giving, we would love to invite you to be a partner with this storehouse. If you are giving inside Nigeria, the details on the screen, the access details work. Even if you want to give to Nigeria from outside Nigeria, please use the details that are on the ticker at the very bottom, the ticker that is moving across the bottom of your screen. This is because the foreign currency is far more valuable to us in Nigeria than the Naira is right now because it keeps depreciating against foreign currencies. But God will come through for Nigeria not many days hence, even in the area of our economy. Love you guys. Bless you. See you tomorrow again. Morning drops of glory, 6.30 a.m. every morning. It's a great time to be a part of it, doing a consecration journey. Uh, make sure that you make the time to start your day right in the presence of the Lord praying. Love you. Take care. Bless you. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.